again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. I'm Randall Sanders, happy to be joined as always by Jeremy Spector. Ronan is continuing his journey through Ireland. He'll rejoin us again at some point if he doesn't choose to stay there and fulfill his lifelong dream of opening O'Shea's Pub and Darts Emporium, though even if he does do that, he could probably still find time to podcast with us. Jeremy, how are you this evening? Uh, I am. I guess I'm okay. I'm good because the Cubs won. The Cubs had they a did. big win, an 8-3 win. They came off a big win yesterday and like you know the day before i told randall i said when the Cubs are in the fifth inning i'm like you better be fired up because we're gonna have a fired up podcast of the way this thing's going and then next thing you know we just bats just break out cubs win and it's like every time we come on the podcast now it's after our cubs win and i have all this pent-up aggression and now i'm like okay i kind of feel good yeah, you know, you know, we we of course Ronan mentions that we have our our group text here in which uh, a number of other things go on, not just podcast talk, but there is plenty of podcast talk. And uh, at the point uh, last night, as we sit and record this on the evening of Wednesday, July nineteenth, last night of course being uh, Tuesday the eighteenth, where the Cubs were still losing uh, three to one. You you were on the horn here. You were saying. Randall, you I'm going to read this. Randall, you better be fired up tomorrow night because I got takes takes for days. We need a legit show. Just absolute dog shit lineup and roster construction. Ross should be fired fired tomorrow. Dog shit at his job. And not too long after that, the Cubs put a couple of runs on the board to tie it up. They put a lot more than a couple runs on the board to tie it up to go ahead. They ended up winning 17 to three and they a couple of bumps along the way tonight on the 19th, but they end up uh, going ahead and still winning handily. So yeah, that's a little bit of a turnaround. I think they heard you. I don't think they wanted to be oh. excoriated by us because who would want to be? That's very daunting. And they've, uh, they've pulled out two pretty nice, pretty tidy wins here. I think I think they heard me, Randall. I think I think they heard. I think some specific players may have heard me too, because I I was excoriating, as you said, use your word, David Ross, for putting Nico Horner at the top of the lineup with his extended funk, and the guy's just been amazing since I I bitched him out on our group text. I was going after him a little bit, and he really really turned it around. But yes, as you can tell from that text, I was very angry in the fifth inning of the and understandably, game. it was a you know frustrating loss Monday night in Game One of this series, coming off a. Of Series loss against the Red Sox, where the two losses were pretty much non-competitive. Uh, yeah, you every right to be frustrated. You, you, you know, you said, "Is it is it wrong to call them lifeless?" And I said, "Not at all. It's a very reasonable complaint." And since then, they've flipped the switch. That, of course, is their their dugout gesture. They do the the turning of the switch. They have turned that switch, and they've gone ahead and scored uh, seventeen plus eight. I believe that's twenty five runs in the past two games. So they've gone ahead and turned that around a little bit. Uh, but of course, before the Nationals of Washington, D.C., the Natinals, as they were once called on Adam Dunn's jersey, before they came into Wrigley, uh, we've had a couple other things go off since then. Uh, we have been on a, a nearly two-week break. We were last with you on Friday the 7th. Uh, since then, the All-Star break has come and gone. And uh, Jeremy, you know, I'm a big home run derby guy. I'm Less of a big all-star game guy, but I do still like the all-star game. Uh, what Anything jump out at you from the proceedings this year? Good derby, good all-star game, anything? Uh, yeah, the derby I thought was, as always, I've been a fan of the change in the derby. I, I used to find the old derby with kind of the outs. kind of It kind of grew stale, kind of was boring. And this new is kind of more of an arcadey kind of version, although watching it now with some of the big numbers that are going up with all these home runs, everybody's swinging. I was thinking even during the derby, like I'm afraid that some guy is going to get hurt doing this. Uh, you know, there's there have so much kind of rotational pull. They're trying to go as fast as they can. They're swinging so hard. And I, I was worried about it doing. It. And then, of course, the next day, the White Sox announced that Luis Robert uh, had a, a, a lower leg injury due to swinging or due to the derby. And so I was kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of on I. I to be expected, to be honest to me, because there was, I mean, Lewis Robert put on a show in the first he did. round. He and some other guys put on a show. I mean, Ali, there he were beat some Ali dingers, Rushman, and some Ali dingers in that round from both sides. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I love the Derby. I, I thought the, the all-star game itself was a little stale, but I thought the Derby was fantastic and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, you know, that's why I'm never that disappointed when there aren't any Cubs competing in the Derby, just because there are a lot of guys 
who go all out and you do worry they're going to pull something or tweak something. And sure enough, it happened to uh, Luis Robert. And that led to not a whole lot of Chicago representation uh, in the All-Star game. I, you know, I'm not real big on Chicago representation. I'm a single issue voter. And of course, that issue is Cubs. Uh, but uh, the Cubs contingent of three All-Stars was reduced to one due to uh, Stroman opting not to participate. Uh, Swanson being injured. Justin Steele got his one inning. And Jeremy, I'm going to I'm going to get on the horn a little bit here. I was not happy with that broadcast because they talked over Justin Steele's whole inning. You have a, a one of the top pitchers in the NL. He's pitching his inning. They're interviewing Luisa Rise in the dugout. They're doing everything else. He, the Basically, the only time you'd have known Justin Steele was in the game was when he struck out his last batter. And they said, there's Justin Steele of the Cubs retiring his final bat. That's that's kind of annoying. I like seeing Cubs in the All-Star game, and it felt like we we got none of it. I, I agree. I, I uh, It was kind of annoying. It, it I, I, I don't care for the dugout interviews i don't no, need them no, it, it no takes context away from the game i don't care for in mid-ending interviews when you know it's going on marquee i don't care for it during the all-star game i i sometimes i do enjoy the mic'd up player during an exhibition game like the all-star game it can kind of get fun I, alec manoa was pretty fun uh i believe last year uh liam hendrix when he didn't realize his mic because his earpiece was off he didn't realize his mic was still on was definitely fun that was pretty hilarious but yeah, I agree with you. Like we want to see some Justin Steele. And I didn't even realize that Marcus Stroman and Dancy Swanson wouldn't even be there. So when yeah. they announced the Cubs, I was kind of taking it back that only Justin Steele's coming out. First of all, that's one thing I didn't like. Let me just point that out. I, I didn't need that whole NBA introduction thing nah, coming out. No, I'm good. Just line the players up. Line them up the way they've been doing it forever. Line them up on the, the baselines and announce them. That's the way it's always done. And, and you know, it looks even worse to me now with the without the uniforms, as we've talked so much in the past. You know, you talked about the Nationals having Natinal on the uniform or whatever. But, uh, you know, National League. But, yeah, I, I, I didn't care for any of that. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, I I would have liked to have seen Marcus Schroer and Anthony Swanson there. Hopefully they're getting healthy, but it would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when Marcus Stroman said he was opting not to participate due to wanting to rest, I knew he wasn't going to, to Seattle because he's not going to get any rest going from New York to Seattle, back to Chicago, not going to get any rest that way. And yeah, yeah, I would have, you know, liked to have seen Swanson there, but I understand he's hurt. He's rehabbing an injury and, you know, he wants to get that foot, get that foot up, wants to get his rest too. So yeah, Justin Steele, poor Justin Steele left all by his lonesome. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you runway on this. I know that the players wearing NL and AL team uniforms in the all-star game. I know that's a big point of contention with you. I know you're a, um, a, a traditionalist. You want to see the team uniforms. I agree, Jeremy. I agree with you. It, it didn't do a whole lot for me visually. Yeah. it it And I was watching with my dad and my dad made a, a decent point that I've seen others make was well, my dad, not a super, you know, a hardcore baseball fan, at least in today's game, watching it. And my dad's like, I don't know what any team any of these guys play for. It's impossible to tell because he, even the Patcher logo is so small on the shoulder. My dad knows, oh, there's one on their pants, I could tell. And, you know, that was kind of the, the fun of an old All-Star game. You saw all the different uh, teams, all the everybody was different you, they are all coming together and playing it, it you, you enjoyed the the picture that the entire team would take and you would see all the different players and all the different uniforms and that was i mean i i remember when the nba used to do that in the mid 90s they would have different jerseys and then it was they had you know team uniforms in the early 90s and 80s and then they went in the mid 90s to like like how MLB had it to different jerseys and they went back to the team uniforms. And I thought that was lame. And I, I think it's lame that baseball's kind of introduced that too. Cause as I said, you can't even tell what team anybody's on. Right. There's no, there's no team color at all. Maybe at least have the players wear like their team hats, but of course you've got to sell your, you, you've got to sell your special all-star edition hats. So, uh, so uh, after the all-star break, of course, the Cubs came back to Wrigley. They hosted the Boston Red Sox. That series did not, uh, I think go as uh, we had hoped, uh, the Red Sox, I think you said in our last episode, they are not a great team, but uh, I guess uh, it's better enough to beat the Cubs two out of three. Not a whole lot good coming out of that series. And that brings us to this Washington Nationals series, Jeremy. Game one was difficult. The Cubs looked like they were trying to come back. And then uh, a home run later, it was out of reach again. And then another home run later, it was still within reach. And they they just couldn't. They couldn't get themselves to that point. And boy, things were looking grim, Jeremy. Things were looking grim after that. It was three to one and a fire. A fire went out under this team. 
And it's just so hard to get any kind of handle on this team going forward. Just when you think that they are complete rock bottom, they go and store 25 runs in two games. It, it Yes, you're right. And, uh, and, you know, fortunately, I guess for the Cubs in this moment, and we'll see how that pl- this plays out uh, moving forward, because they got to face the Nationals bullpen and Nationals bullpen is not very good. And they put up some numbers, even in game one, they put up some numbers on the Nationals bullpen. So, and we saw, I, I, uh, excuse me, in game two, them just go off from the sixth inning on. And it was pretty incredible almost. You're like, what just happened? Like, I, I I venture to guess all Cubs fans, anyone listening to this was pretty angry in the fifth inning of that game. Yeah. Pretty, you know, even sad or disappointed or, or whatever. They're like, okay, we're going into seller mode. This is done. We might still be in seller mode, but this is pretty much done. It, it's, we're not even going to push it towards the deadline. And it was frustrating. And then the batch just went off. And actually, I want to give props to a guy who probably fans were probably pretty pissed at at the beginning of that game. Uh, Jameson Tyone, who gave up three early runs in that game. But then he settled down. He was one out away, basically, from having a quality start. He only gave up three uh, runs in five and two thirds. And he got pulled before they finished the six. But they ended up finishing that six. They didn't give up any more runs. And I thought that was a pretty good performance by him. Yeah, he gave up those early runs. But he settled down after that. Didn't allow anything more. And the Cubs bats came out. And they they saved the day. I wish he would have gotten the win. But they saved the day. And, yes, I, I agree with you, Randall. We're in this position now. The one thing I said was in Boston, like, just don't lose ground to Milwaukee and Cincinnati. And they really didn't right. lose ground. Not really, no. And and they kind of stayed. In this, unfortunately, they didn't make up any ground today. They made up a little ground yesterday. Um, but they're still, you know, seven or seven and a half back, I believe, in the division. Uh, five back of Cincinnati. But, look, they got the schedule coming up. It's not – It's not. Uh, unfortunately, the Cardinals are playing pretty well. So, hopefully, we can – drive that dagger in them that needs to be done this weekend, but they got the Cardinals coming up. They got the white Sox who are not that I know they beat the Braves, but still they looked lifeless in, in New York pretty much, except for that one game where they had 10 runs. Um, But it's just, it's still kind of right there. And I want to believe we just need to keep winning. I'm not worried about Cincinnati Milwaukee's doing. If we just keep winning, it will all play out. So that's what the Cubs need to do. And it, we're just kind of in this in-between position. And it's frustrating because it's like we're leaning towards selling, but we're still we're not quite there. And I don't want to be selling. I don't I hope no Cubs fan wants to be selling. No, nobody wants to be selling, especially not for the, the third season in a row. Nobody wants that. And Jeremy, that's that's the, the way the knife twists just a little bit more, is that it, it's gonna feel like this this division is never out of reach because we know neither of the top two teams are really all that impressive. The Reds, I believe, won for the first time since uh, in the second half today. So they got themselves swept by Milwaukee and they had uh, some trouble with the Giants. It's always going to feel like the division is just in reach if the Cubs can just, you know, tread water and then have a good two weeks in there. And I, and I hate that. I hate this in-between feeling. Like you said, you know, I've said it before. They're in a position now where one win, it doesn't help them. Even two wins doesn't help them. You need weeks. You need multiple weeks where you go six and one or five and two. You need basically a good month at this point to even keep afloat. And we just haven't quite seen that ability from them, uh, except in playing the Pirates, you know, who they're six and oh against this year. Uh, The Cardinals are coming in for four uh, again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Cubs are two and three against the Cardinals this year. They haven't shown any necessarily ability to beat them consistently for as bad as they are. It's it's a frustrating position to be in. It feels a little bit like purgatory where you're not good. You're not bad. You're just enough to make it interesting. And that's a little bit frustrating. It didn't have to be this way. The crazy thing is, I believe entering today, because I, I last looked at it before the game, all the games today, was that the Cubs, by on the Fangraphs playoffs odd page, for the rest of the season, the Cubs had the second highest winning percentage in the division. And it happened to be higher than both the Brewers, and the Reds, the only team that had a higher that Fangraphs was projecting to have a higher winning percentage than the Cubs moving this way forward was uh, the Cardinals, who they, they they still project to be pretty good. But, you know, the, the Cubs have they faced kind of the toughest part of their schedule so far. The rest of the schedule, they have one of the easiest schedules in baseball. And so they need to just go on a run. Like, as you said, you, you can't win one game, winning two games, winning a series against the Nationals is not going to do it. You need to go on a sustained run for the next 
I mean, if you want to make the playoffs, you need to go on a sustained run for a long time. But if you want to be not sellers right now, you need to go on a sustained run for the next two weeks. And I, I think if you can go on that run, the rest of it's going to fall into place. Because I, I don't think the Brewers are going to go on a huge run. I don't think the Reds are going to go on the huge run. Plus, we have games against these teams left. So, like, if the Cubs are winning, they're beating these teams. Like, yeah. if the Cubs are winning the next two weeks, they're beating the Cardinals, and they're knocking the Cardinals out of any sort of contention. I mean, the Cardinals are 10 back still, but they've won five in a row. And John Mosaliak the other day said, we're sellers. And they asked him, well, is there any way you might not be sellers? He said, win eight games in a row. Well, they won well, five in right, a row. Right, right. They've won Figures. five in a row, and and they're coming to Chicago this weekend, and hopefully we can prevent them from running eight in a row. So yeah, it's a big series this weekend. And we don't we don't want to put the Cardinals back into any sort of contention because no. I don't believe the Brewers and the Reds. Like, when you look at that Brewers lineup, that Brewers lineup is not good. It is not it's a awful. good lineup. And we saw them a couple weeks ago around the 4th of July. And it was unfortunate the way some of those games were played out, but that that's an awful lineup. And so I don't, I don't see them really going out and dominating and the reds, they don't have the pitching and they have a bunch of young guys. I don't know. So the Cubs just need to get on a run and it's, it's harder, you know, it's easier said than done. It's harder to actually do it, go out and run, but you need to get healthy. You need to get Danzy Swanson back, right? You need to get some healthy and we'll see about third base with wisdom, but I and magical if he ever gets healthy, but I you just gotta you just gotta stack wins. I feel like if this team could stack wins, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah that's that's all they need to do, right? Yeah, uh, yeah that's all you need, need to do is win you know, ball games. It's our, very simple. our theme, I think, all throughout the offseason, all throughout spring training, was there's not a whole lot of margin for error, and it's it's kind of funny that we are now partway into the second half of the season and. The theme is the same. There's still no margin for error. Again, you can't afford to go on any kind of sustained losing streak. The games against the two teams ahead of you are going to be of massive importance. You can't really afford to lay eggs in those. There's just no margin for error. And this team has not been great on the margins this season. So it kind of feels like we're asking them to do something that they haven't shown an ability to do. But that is why they play the games. Now, uh, this next part, uh, I think we uh, had as we were frustrated during the the losing part of game two in this series, but we're probably going to come back to this again at this point, at some point. And so I think it makes some sense to discuss. So I titled this segment, the Cubs suck again, which they don't suck as much again, Jeremy, things have changed a little bit in the past 24 hours, but real quick, let's run down, you know, if they do end up nose diving again, who deserves the most blame? So I'm going to give you three elements, and I think you'd agree with most of these. And I think we're going to make the case for each one being the biggest one at fault if and when they do nosedive again. So we're going to do this lightning round. We're going to do this real quick. First one, Tom Ricketts in ownership. Biggest case for him deserving the most blame. Are you asking me to just make a case for him to deserve the Yeah, just the make, most it, blame? make a case. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, if ownership wanted to spend as much as they possibly could on a, on a ball club, like I don't really think they're doing that. I don't think they're spending as much as they can on payroll. I think they have the ability to spend more money. And I think if they wanted to spend more money, they, they would. Um, I, but I, 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 and then we, you know, we look at what happened, why the Cubs are in this position to begin with. I, I, you know, you, you have to go back to the decisions that were made in 2020, 2021 uh, of not necessarily of lowering payroll and you can, relitigate COVID and all those things. But at the end of the day, I, I do think like if ownership wanted to go over, you know, if if Tom Ricketts says, I want to go and spend money, like some of these other owners have, if he, I'm not saying he's going to be Steve Cohn, but if he said, I want to, I think he could do that. So I, I think you do, you do, you do say like, Hey man, let's put a little bit more money out. They would, the Cubs should be at some point be luxury tax payers. Like I, I they shouldn't be just, up to the luxury tax, treating it as a hard cap. All right. Uh, Jed Hoyer, what's the case for him or Jed Hoyer and the rest of the front office? What's the case for the front office being the biggest culprit in the team struggles? So I would say the case for the front office, and I, I you might hear some things from me because I kind of actually believe for this team right now, Jed Hoyer is has not done the best job is that we're in year three, right? And Jed Hoyer said this was a reset. He said, this isn't going to be a long-term rebuild and we're in year three and we're not seeing, we're seven, still seven and a half back, you know, in a weak division 
a weak division. So that's very, very disappointing. You look at, I said, if Tom Ricketts wanted to go out and spend, he could spend. But what is Tom Ricketts spending? He's spending right now. If you look at the luxury tax, they're at like 225 million. Luxury tax, 230 million. So they're right there at the luxury tax. If you take it down to what the actual opening day payroll is, it's more around 185 million because there's other factors that go into the luxury tax besides just literal money. And of course, about 20 million of that is, is tied up with Jason Hayward, who's not even on the team. But yeah. you look at that, you still say, so you can take it down to 160 million, right? For that's the actual amount of money that's being paid out this season to players, whatever. You look at that, the Brewers are paying like 110 million. And the 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 Reds are paying like 80 million. And the Pirates are paying like 80 million. So if, even if the Cubs are paying 160 million, that's $50 million more than the Brewers. And you're seven and a half behind them. That's $80 million more than the Reds. And you're behind them. So you could blame them for not spending. But you have to, if you're spending that much money, there are plenty of teams spending less than the Cubs, a lot less than the Cubs, that are putting out a winning product that don't have these kind of ridiculous roster construction issues that we don't even have a a first baseman that we can rely on. Like, Somehow Trey Mancini is out there every single day. Yeah. And he's and he's getting pinch hit for tonight in huge at bats. So like in the late in the game, he's not out there for his defense. So why is he out there if you're going to pinch hit for him in late in the game? Now, I'm not blaming Ross for pinch hitting for him because Jan Gomes came in and did the job. And I would rather have Jan Gomes in that situation. But then the point goes back. Why is Mancini in the game in the first place in that situation? So I there's just a lot of kind of issues of this team that I feel like Jet Hoyer and look, I want to give Jet Hoyer props. I want to say I think his decisions, he had to be the hatchet man. And that was kind of an unfair position to be in. But I think it was right to be the hatchet man. And I, you look at Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo right now that you you want to keep all those guys. That team might be in a way worse position than it is today. Um, You look at the guys he traded for. I mean, unfortunately, Kevin Alcantara pulled up a little bit late today but he's been on fire p crow armstrong uh you know ben brown's kind of popped up so like he's made the moves and i i do think he's done a good job modernizing kind of the front office bringing in i just don't know if he's the guy to take it to the next level i don't know if he has that appetite that risk appetite that says i need to go out there and make i feel like he's making all these small moves that are based on like i need to make like cost benefit analysis it's like the best war benefit that's why i'm signing Trey Mancini, because he'll give me like two war and I'm only spending seven million, which, of course, unfortunately, he's not even giving you two. Yeah, war. no, no, but no, that's no. like the, I think that's like the thought process. It's not I'm going to spend 30 million on a guy who's going to give me like four war. It might not be perfect value, but it's a better player. Um, So that's just kind of me. I don't know if Jed Hoyer is the guy to take the next level. I want to give Jed his props for everything he's done, but I haven't seen it. now. Maybe he's just waiting for the Cubs to be in that position to take it to the next level. But I, in my opinion, it shouldn't be year four. It, it should have been sooner. So yeah. three years is an embarrassment. You mentioned Kevin Alcantara's injury. I was uh, actually at that South Bend Cubs game today. I had a perfect view of him coming up lane between first and second and hopping into second base. And so if anybody wants to blame me for that, I will uh, I will wear that. It happened with me in attendance, and I do apologize for that. Okay, so you are very firmly in the camp that if there is blame to be put on one person, it, it uh, a lot of it belongs with Hoyer. So the third leg of the triad here, make the case for David Ross being most at fault for the Cubs struggles in the first half and a little bit to start the second half. Right. And so a lot of my blame on Jed Hoyer can kind of, you could probably use as kind of excuse making for Ross because you can say, well, he doesn't have quite the lineup to build, but like, I think I just, just, I, you have to be able to judge in my opinion, you have to be able to judge everybody on their own merits. Like I don't want to, I don't think you can excuse each one guy for another guy's faults, like because well, Tom Ricketts didn't spend enough money. That means Jed kind of gets a pass, or Jed didn't really build the best roster, so David Ross gets a pass. I think you judge them based on what they're doing with what they're handed, right? And yeah. I I don't see David Ross, unfortunately, and I you know we all love David Ross, game seven home run off Andrew Miller, everything he's done. I haven't seen him be like shown me anything that says David Ross should be here. Think about it. I, I've put this out that next year, if David Ross is brought back and he's under contract to come back next year, and I don't see any reason why they would fire him. I mean, I, why they're going to fire him. I see reason why they would fire him. Right. He's going to be his fifth year 
The only Cubs manager since 1972, since Leo DeRocher left the team in 1972, managed from 1966 to 1972. This 50 years ago, 1973, right? The only Cubs managers who have managed five seasons are Joe Madden, who obviously deserved to have five seasons because the Cubs were in the playoff hunt every single year. Correct. At winning a World Series. And Jim Riggleman, who, you know, he made the playoffs in 98 and like his third year, they gave him two extra years, whatever. David Ross made the playoffs once in a 60 game season in his first yeah, year. It's a season we don't really count for a exactly. Whole lot. And then the next three years, they've kind of shit the bed, if you will, when it hasn't really been, you know, 2021, they shit the bed. Unfortunate to say, but they did. Uh, 2023, they're looking like they're going to shit the bed. They kind of moved. They're kind of playing right now. 2022 just wasn't kind of great all around. It's like, what has David Ross done to earn that fifth year? And we look at it, we look at it, and I, I went after the Trey Mancini. Like, why is Trey Mancini continuing to play first base? Yes, you can blame Jed Hoyer for not getting a real first baseman or not having Matt Mervis up or whatever. But, like, there has to be – it doesn't make sense. There are other better – like, what is – Trey Mancini have right now over Jared Young. I'd rather just see Jared Young over there every day. Maybe, I mean, Trey Mancini has been like worst player in baseball. And you're just looking at Nico Horner. I, I, he's gone off, but he's up going into yesterday. He had a 289 on base percentage since April 23rd. He's batting leadoff every day or batting top two. Why? I, I, and I'm not a big roster con- or excuse me, lineup construction guy, but why are you putting a guy like that just every day? And, it just it just seems there's so much kind of like in game decision making that's like I don't understand it and I just feel like a better manager would have gotten more out of this team and I blame Jed Hoyer you know for this team being seven and a half back but I feel like if they had a better manager they wouldn't be seven and a half back so like yeah. I, I have blame kind of all going around and and just to in some fairness to David Ross uh, and I I did not know that stat about Nico's on base percentage basically since beginning of may it's definitely not what you want out of your leadoff hitter in david ross's defense just a little bit mike talkman does lead off a fair amount of the time when he is playing he does have a 372 on base percentage that's what you want out of your leadoff hitter so it's not like nico is batting leadoff every day but that is an excellent point but he's saying two on a day right that's right that's right there is a little bit of that that dusty in there where you feel like he's batting leadoff because he's fast and he's scrappy and David Ross feels like the guy who's fast and scrappy should be leading off without a, you know any consideration for the the underlying metrics so the the lineup construction is very fair the Trey Mancini is very fair and if Ronan were here I think he would agree because he's on record with this I think it's time to move on from Mancini or at the very least send Young back down and you need to bring Mervis back up and you need to be playing him every day because this is critical development time and you need to see how he's going to fit in um going into next season. And that obviously is not on Ross. That is Hoyer for whatever reason right now. But uh, again, that's something that's not happening and it's something that should be happening. Yeah. And, and besides just those guys, uh, like I, I want to see Miguel Amaya get more play time. I feel like he gets in once a week, one or two times a week and he always kind of produces. And then he sits for three days in a row, four days. And anytime he does get in, he's batting like sixth or seventh towards the bottom of the lineup. I, I would like to see Miguel Amaya get some more opportunities. I, I would like, and you know, we were, you're talking about it's hard to judge necessarily based on lineup construction because one, I don't even think I, I I do think line of construction is overrated. I don't think it's like the huge ideal, but at the end of the day, like don't bat guys who can't get on base at the top. That's just simple. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how much is Ross per se, like putting his own lines. Together. I don't know how much he's, he's working with the front office, but this kind of gets me back to like, I don't really understand a lot of what they're doing just organizationally that I like don't understand. I don't understand as you we mentioned, why Trey Mancini is playing every day? Why aren't they giving Matt Mervis another opportunity? Why are we kind of feeling like at times we're playing like men down? You know, like we don't have a full roster or we don't have a full comp. Like, why? How do we end up in a situation a few weeks ago where Christopher Morrell is or we're losing our DH because we're we're not even it, we've barely given Christopher Morrell any play time in the field, and I realize they may not have confidence in him. But like we need to know if certain guy like we don't have if wisdom goes down or magical goes down, we don't really have a third baseman. Next thing you know, we're like just I feel like we're doing so much to like spite ourselves to, you know, to 
that we're not playing to our full capabilities. And that's really harming our, our the team, uh, the Cubs. I shouldn't say us, but the Cubs. Um, and that's that's kind of like disappointing. It doesn't feel like we're maximizing everything we can, but that it feels like we're doing the opposite. Like we're giving ourselves handicaps in, and I don't understand why that's what the team's doing. Yeah. It, it, and again, with continuing the theme, they need to succeed on the margins and they're not succeeding on the margins and things are not being done that could help them succeed on the margins. So uh, again, the Cubs will inevitably at some point nosedive a little bit just because I think that's the DNA of this team. And we will probably revisit this, but it, you know, we, we had it on the map here and you, you can't, can't change the map just based on two good games because two good games doesn't tell you a whole lot. You're going to need a whole lot more than two good games. Uh, so something else to have gone down in the week, two weeks since we last convened. Uh, one of your favorite parts of the MLB calendar, the MLB draft has come and gone. The Cubs, of course, selected uh, University of Maryland shortstop Matt Shaw with their number 13 overall pick. He was their first round pick. And since then, he is, of course, signed. He has been introduced at Wrigley. He gave a hell of a quote about how he's ready to go out there uh, and fail with the best of them in MLB as soon as possible. The whole quote, of course, has a lot more context to it, but we have to get these jokes off. Um, and he is already uh, working out in Mesa. He'll probably stay there for a couple of weeks before heading out to Myrtle Beach to finish out the season. So, of course, the first round pick, um, Jeremy, I know he was he you said you didn't mention him when we did our draft preview, but he was kind of on your short list. No, I, I mean, I didn't preview him, but I did mention him in the broadcast. OK, so he I, did. He did warrant a mention and, mention and they ended up going I, with him. You can go back and listen and go back. I don't have the timestamp on me, but after I was done with all the guys I previewed, I did say I said that, uh, you know, they might go another direction. They might go off the thing. They, they could go take a guy from University of Maryland, Matt Shaw. So he did. He did get mentioned, but uh, he was not one of the guys I previewed. Right. And I actually and part of the reason why he was not one of the guys that was, I previewed was because I thought he might be gone by the time that the Cubs uh, took him. I didn't necessarily think he would be uh, there. And I'm actually, I'm excited about this pick. I like this pick. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's going to stick at shortstop. Like you're hearing a lot of people say, uh, doesn't necessarily have a strong arm, but he was the big 10 player of the year, uh, which of course we all love big 10 baseball. Uh, and he, uh, he hits balls hard. And I think you can see like a uh, kind of a power hitting second baseman and I think that's going to be a good vibe. Now, a lot of people will say, you know, why are the Cubs taking a middle infielder? And of course, have... it's it's MLB. You don't draft based on need. Exactly. You take best player available. When they have middle infielders, uh, you know, locked up in the middle. But yeah, as you said, you're taking the best player available. You don't know what the, the future holds for anything. You're not counting on these guys being there necessarily right away. Of course, I do think Matt Shaw could move pretty fast, um, but not right away. And oftentimes these shortstops on any team, especially in uh, amateur levels, but also in the college level, or excuse me, in high school levels, but also in the college level uh, is the best athlete. So you want to sure. make up your, your players of kind of middle, uh, middle of the, of the, you know, up the middle type players, uh, center field shortstop, uh, in second base, you kind of want those type of players. They're the best athletes. They can move around the diamond if, if they can't be. When, you, when you're when you a first baseman, you kind of end up being stuck. Like, there's nowhere to move to. Um, but, yeah, I, I like this pick a lot. I think Matt Shaw is going to be a very good selection by the Cubs. And I I, I was very happy to see it. It was a little different reaction than last year when it was Kate Horton. We were all, we all like, said, oh. who, how could they yeah. take this guy? We've never heard of And It seems to have turned out. Okay. You know, short, small sample size a year later, we, we seem to be more okay with it. Right. Uh, yes. Kate Horton was, it was to me, it was like, it seemed like, I, mean, I know he was dominant in the, in the, in the college world series, but it seems like a reach. He was kind of always thought of as being more late first round. And we popped him at number seven out of all these other guys. And you know what? Baseball America the other day in their mid season update, they updated, you know, their top 100 and Kate Horton was the number two player uh, that was taken in the 2022 draft. So behind Jackson, how that works out. Another one who's the number one prospect at baseball. The only, the only other player. So uh, hopefully Matt Shaw will be, the number two player or the number one player taking in the uh, 2023 draft when baseball America does their midseason update in 2024. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, Matt Shaw, he's that polished college bat. 
He's done, if I'm not mistaken, very good work in the Cape Cod League, where which of course is a wood bat league, which is great because you know means he's not uh, just a college hitter. He's that polished college bat. Seems like he's got a pretty high floor. I know there's some question about the extent to which the power will translate and his eventual defensive position, but it seems like they got a pretty good hitter with that 13th overall pick. And then of course you get into the nitty gritty of the rest of the draft, the the, the down draft picks. Is there anybody that the Cubs took? who really jumps out at you, who maybe you felt they were a reach or maybe, wow, they got this guy when I wasn't expecting him to still be available, who still jumps out at you for good or for ill that the Cubs took later in the draft. Yeah. There's a, there's a few guys that I think are kind of notable and I'll, I'll go through them. Uh, one, of course, we always have to give props to anytime the Cubs uh, draft a Sanders, Will Sanders, of course, around a pitcher. So we hope he makes it to Wrigley and we get that Sanders out of the back, hopefully a Sanders 22. So yeah, props to, uh, them for taking out of South Carolina, the right-handed pitcher, Will Sanders. But a couple names that just just to me that I, I kind of look at, uh, I, I thought this kid, Michael Carrigo, who's a catcher who kind of was hurt this year, had a monster sophomore season out of Davidson. I thought that was kind of an interesting name that they took. I think that kid could really hit. Uh, I think that there's some kind of this, these later guys that I was surprised that they signed necessarily because when you start getting to 17th, 18th, 19th, 20 round, those are kind of guys you kind of maybe expect to go to college or signability issues. Exactly. And they were able to sign pretty much all these players. One kid, Daniel Brown, basically didn't pitch at all last season. He pitched like one inning. He had like some I, I looked I remember looking at his stats. I didn't I was not familiar with him. He had like nine walks and came up like a whole bunch of runs. And in like one inning of, of work and I went and looked at some highlights and he's throwing like a hundred miles an hour, just lights out and just nowhere, no clue where the ball's going. So, and the Cubs signed him, they drafted him. So that's going to be an interesting thing. I think to take a kid like that, who's basically just totally raw, just pure stuff has no idea what he's doing on the mound and put him in a big league kind of training and or major league organization kind of training and see what comes out of that. I think that would be pretty interesting. Another kid who was kind of hurt this past year out of UCLA big time program, Ethan Flanagan. I I think he could, I I was kind of surprised he was draft eligible sophomore. I thought he might go back to college Uh, Cubs signed him. So we'll see how that does. And then the last guy uh, I want to note was the last player the Cubs took a uh, kid by the name of Drew Bowser. And I know that's, that's right. Guy. I know we, 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 there's no way we could not mention a, a kid by the name of Drew Bowser. And, right. you know, if he comes up, comes up, faces the mushroom kingdom in pitching, he is going to do very good work. So Drew Bowser was like kind of a pretty big time prospect back in 2020 coming out of high school. And now the 2020 draft, of course, was only five rounds. He would have been drafted at some point in the 2020 draft. He had, uh, decent, you know, signability issues. So he might not have signed coming out of the 2020 draft, but he would have been drafted instead of going undrafted like he did because it's only five rounds. And he ended up going to Stanford. Now, the Pac-12 and Stanford, not necessarily known for having uh, the best programs that, that send professional ball ballplayers. Uh, he didn't really produce... He- you know, at a huge rate, he he did kind of show out his junior year a little bit, had some big moments in the tournament, had some power, kind of some strikeout issues. I didn't think he'd sign. I, I figured he'd go back to college, try to, you know, really put together a pretty good senior season. Yeah, you lose leverage as a senior. But as we saw this year, the Cubs took a, a senior who had a huge year at Florida in the third round and gave him almost $800,000. So you you could come back as a senior and do pretty well. And so I thought that's what Drew Browser would do. I thought he'd go back and try to booster his draft stock. But he signed with the Cubs and I'm surprised with that. And I'm happy about it. Cause I, I like getting a kid who has raw talent into the system, get him out of that kind of Stanford way that we've seen with a lot of issues of kids that came out of Stanford uh, over the years, not really producing and get him into a big uh, major league, uh, you know, training as well. And we'll see what happens with Drew Bowser. And hopefully as Randall said, he, he conquers the mushroom kingdom. That's right. Conquer the Mushroom Kingdom and tell him that Mario is waiting for him at the MLB level. Uh, I'll tell you what is their second round pick. The Cubs, of course, did not have their own second round pick. 
because they lose that for signing Dansby Swanson in free agency, but they did have the compensatory pick for losing Wilson Contreras. So that's the circle of life. And still unsigned is Arkansas righty Jackson Wiggins, and that's J-A-X-O-N, Brave New World, Jackson Wiggins. Uh, Jeremy, he, of course, is a recovering from Tommy John surgery. He had it in January, but he had great velocity when he was helping, sitting 94-97, peaking at 99. Do you think Jackson Wiggins chooses to sign, or do you think he goes back to college? I think he chooses to sign. I, I feel like if you're drafting a kid in the second round, you have a pretty good idea that he's going to sign. Now, it does happen every once in a while, every couple of years, where somebody pretty high up doesn't sign. Matt McClain didn't sign out of uh, college with, or actually out of high school with the Diamondbacks. And at this point, I wish he did sign out of high school with the Diamondbacks, not go to the Reds. But uh, usually, I, I, I have pretty good faith that the Cubs have an idea of what the kid wants, what his, his, bonus he's going to demand they're not going to just draft a kid that they don't have a very high uh a bit, you know likelihood of signing in the second round so I, I do think he will eventually sign but you know the interesting thing about that to me is that the cubs they love the university of arkansas they have a couple schools that they love that it seems like they draft at old least dominion. one of old dominion yeah, old is dominion. one of them at least one every single year. And and the Cubs have done that with Christian Franklin. They've done it with Casey Opitz. They've done it now with Jackson Wiggins. They, it just seems like they're always drafting university of Arkansas guys. And so, you know, I, you could do worse than a program like Arkansas, which is one of the premier programs in college baseball. They, they like them hogs, Jeremy, they like them hogs. Uh, so not too long after the draft, we got the 2024 schedule as MLB drops it right around this time every year. We learn, uh, of course, openers. We learn when the season will be ending. The interleague travels to the Cubs, of course, will be opening the 2024 season on the road at Texas in the big old Home Depot shack there Thursday, March 28th. And oddly, Jeremy, despite it being a retractable roof venue, you still have the Thursday opener off day Friday Saturday Sunday which just make it a four game series take one of them four games away from a brewer series for God's sake uh so they'll open on the road in Texas for, at Texas for the second time in five years the Cubs opened the 2019 season there and then of course more importantly they will open at Wrigley on April Fool's Day Monday April 1st versus Colorado their first Wrigley Field opponent and then they will go through the rest of the schedule so um Interleague, the Cubs will be, of course, going to all of the cities whose teams they welcome in this year. So if you're out there planning your road trips, the Cubs will be going to Texas and Seattle, Boston, Tampa, Baltimore, Kansas City and Cleveland. Um, you know, don't know that any of those are huge baseball destinations, but you go anywhere and it can be a baseball destination. Uh, Jeremy, I know you've perused the schedule a little bit. Is there anything jumping out at you? You're like, wow, this is a real tough stretch. This is a, a difficult travel. Anything like that jumping out at you? Well, I, the first thing, of course, that that did jump out of me, and I had mentioned this to Randall before the show, was uh, that weird Sunday off day. Yeah, against the White Sox, where it's two on, uh, it's you know, two game series now uh, against the White Sox. But and we've seen that for you know the past decade. You I, you only play a six game series once every three years, so more often than not, you're playing two and two now against your protected rival. But we haven't seen a two game series on a weekend which is kind of interesting. So you get the Friday, Saturday game, and then a Sunday off day, which I looked up, and I think the last time the Cubs had a Sunday off day was like in 2014, and there was some sort of, uh, I think it was against the Nationals, and I think there was some sort of conflict in Wrigleyville, maybe it was a Pride Parade or something, and they moved the series from Thursday to Saturday or something, but that's just weird to have a Sunday off day. Hey, and Jeremy, funny you say that. I was actually at that doubleheader. That 2014 doubleheader, you are correct. There was a conflict with uh, other events in the city. So they actually played, I believe, a scheduled doubleheader on Saturday in order to make that a three-game series. But yeah, that is very weird. Again, you you do this four-game home-and-home with the White Sox. I'm going to go on record saying it. You could take the White Sox series off the schedule every year and nobody would miss it. I'm sorry. It brings out the worst in both fan bases, more one than the other. Um, But it brings out the worst in both fan bases. I don't like it. If you took it off the schedule, nobody would miss it. I'm aware it's not going anywhere, especially now that you uh, play every every team in the AL at least once uh, on the schedule. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bookend it because the White Sox series is coming up. Uh, and uh, so we're going to record before the series. We're going to record after the series. I'm going to bookend it. I'm going to say here at the beginning that I wouldn't miss it. And I'm going to say after the series that I wouldn't miss it. I'm going to make a big old would not miss the White Sox series sandwich. Uh, with some would not miss the White Sox bread on either side. Yeah, you know, I, I've always found those those series kind of fun. 
But of course, it's way more fun when the Cubs are winning them than when they're losing them. But uh, yeah, but it's interesting the way that the, the with the balanced schedule, as we've discussed plenty of times, how it's it's working out. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of places that Cubs hadn't seen kind of regularly that now they're going to see regularly. And we'll see, like you know, as you mentioned, all the places that the all the teams that came in to regularly this year, the Cubs are going back. So they'll be in Boston next year. And uh, after we just saw the Red Sox, so that might be an interesting trip uh, to go to. Yeah, that's that's going to be take a little bit of getting used to. This, of course, is the first season of the so-called balance schedule. Um, you know, you the Red Sox came into Wrigley. The Cubs went to Yankee Stadium. The uh, Cubs have been to Yankee Stadium or Cubs have been to Yankee Stadium two seasons in a row now. And that we're not used to that happening. We're not typically used to seeing the same interleague teams year in and year out. Of course, you used to have the the divisional rotation. You'd align with one division and you'd play every team in that division. But that's that's not the case anymore. You're going to see the Red Sox one way or another every year. You're going to see the Yankees one way or another every year. So the Yankees are finally coming to Wrigley um, after a playing so many games in the Bronx. Um, So that'll be nice. The Cubs don't have to go to the Bronx again. Um, But, you know, something that jumped out at me is the Cubs do not play anyone in the NL Central until May. They go the entire first month of the season, the entirety of the little bit of March and all of April, and they do not play within the division. And that's another function of this balanced schedule is fewer division games. Exactly. And it's kind of crazy that that's, going to happen i mean it's i i remember when they went to the unbalanced schedule like of decades ago and it, i kind of like the unbalanced schedules we've we've talked about because it made the division so much more important uh winning division ball games and it's just you know now yeah it's a little bland to see cincinnati and pittsburgh on the same teams over and over again but to not play any of them until may is just crazy to me to, in, in this new world it is brave new world, and we have no choice but to get used to it. And with Rob, Mav- Rob Manfred seemingly set to be reelected as commissioner, uh, as a foregone conclusion at some point in the next week or so, uh, what Lord knows what other changes might be coming. Uh, on a more positive note than talking about Rob Manfred, Pat Hughes, Jeremy, he goes into the Hall of Fame this weekend. He has already departed Chicago to uh, get to Cooperstown for the weekend. The radio booth saw him off with a little tribute at the end of the game last night. Uh, He, of course, is uh, in Cooperstown at the moment. His broadcast partners, Ron Coomer and uh, Zach Zaidman, I say with a sigh, they will be joining him in Cooperstown. Um, I I think both of us just it's. It should have happened sooner, but I think both of us and Ronan, if he were here too, I don't think any of us could be more happy for Pat Hughes as he finally gets enshrined. Certainly, deservedly so, and glad to see it happen to him while he's you know still working and still able to uh, do things. And and yeah, Pat Hughes definitely one hundred percent deserves it. Uh, I'm I'm glad he's he's getting enshrined. Uh, it's going to be a big weekend, and it's going to be a, a you know it's going to be a decent weekend for the Cubs while not having you know a ton of like cub stuff out there but fred mcgriff he's going in too and he was a former cub so i'll take credit for that all right yeah you take credit for that absolutely you were fred mcgriff's uh advocate for the hall of fame well i don't uh, know if i'd say about that but if he's gonna be in he might as well be a cub yeah you know i'm gonna give you credit for <laughs> i'm gonna give you credit for it anyway and you know i just I, I had this thought last night that at some point this weekend hall of famer pat hughes is gonna find the plaque celebrating hall of famer ron santo and i'm sure pat will uh enjoy a moment with that uh, but yeah, couldn't be happier for Pat Hughes. I've been listening to Pat Hughes critically for the better part of two decades, and uh, I'm just thrilled for him to finally get this honor. And uh, I can't wait for the Cubs to, you know, they've been honoring him all throughout the first half, the, the you know, putting him on the video board, Hall of Famer Pat Hughes. I can't wait for that to become official, and I can't wait for him to just be celebrated at Wrigley for the rest of the season and for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, there's only so many people who can say that they are Hall of Fame broadcasters and Pat Hughes gets to say that now. So I could not possibly be happier for him. Uh, so as Pat Hughes is in Cooperstown this weekend, the Cubs, of course, are not in Cooperstown. Well, I just want to say one thing. Ralph, yes. Before we move on. And it's not something I have right in front of me right now. So maybe we'll bring it up next week. Uh, but I'm actually curious how many uh, play, uh, how many radio teams or television broadcast teams actually did have two Hall of Famers with them at one time. Could you just mention Ron Santo and Pat Hughes? So I, that is something I will look up, and hopefully we'll see that next week. All right. That's an that's an excellent thing to look up, and we'll we'll get the results of that when we, uh, when we re- rejoin our audiences next week. 
Uh, so like I said, Pat Hughes is in Cooperstown this weekend. The Cubs are not in Cooperstown. That would really be a story. Uh, but they are here in the Chicago, and they will welcome in the St. Louis Cardinals, a name that I spit out uh, as you do words that you don't like the taste of. And as always, we are very fortunate to have weather provided to us by Alexander Hall, at Alexander Hall, aptly handled, uh, of Cubs weather, also aptly handled, at Cubs weather. Uh, uh, again, as always, find him and find them on Twitter for all of your uh, Cubs weather needs, especially here in the summer where the weather can change on a dime. And even as we have severe weather come through the Chicago area, they've got you updated on that. So they've got you covered coming and got you covered going. Alexander provides for us the series vibe for this four game set against the Cardinals at Wrigley. And he tells us it's a little more August than July. All of the really punishing midsummer heat and humidity settling into the West of Chicago works for me. I hate heat and humidity, a really nice weekend to force the Cardinals to trade a few dudes. Alexander, I like where your head's at. The Thursday night game is a seven Oh five central time start as it so often is. It'll be 79 degrees clear, comfortable, breezy in from left field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Sounds like a perfect night to hopefully not embarrass yourself against the Cardinals. Friday is, of course, a 120 game. And for God's sake, it's a 120 Apple TV Plus game. You're relegating Cubs Cardinals on a Friday afternoon to streaming. It, it What a load of horse shit. Anyway, Friday, 120. It'll be 81 degrees, partly cloudy. Winds in from center field, right field at 10 to 10 miles per hour. It'll be a pinch humid, but not bad. And for late July in Chicago, I will take a pinch humid, but not bad because it can get pretty saucy out there sometimes. Saturday, uh, it will be 82 degrees at game time, partly cloudy, slight chance for a storm, light and variable winds, also a pinch humid, but still also not bad. And then finally, the series finale, Sunday, 84 degrees, partly cloudy with a coin flip chance for a storm. Winds will be blowing, will be blowing out to center field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. That could be fun. And it will be a little more humid, but it sounds like it will be a fairly temperate late July weekend at Wrigley. And again, as Alexander says, it'll be a really nice weekend, hopefully, to not embarrass yourself yourself against the Cardinals. And quite frankly, if they do embarrass themselves against the Cardinals, as I told Alexander when he provided me the weather earlier, that the area temperatures might go up a little bit because I will self-immolate if they embarrass themselves against the Cardinals this weekend. So uh, Cubs, don't make me do that, please. So thank you as always to uh, Alexander and the other two individuals who of course run Cubs weather with him, that being Andrew and that being Colin, all three of the them form the Cubs weather triad follow them and follow Cubs weather on Twitter uh, as you head out to Wrigley this weekend and for the rest of the second half uh, so Jeremy that's the weather uh, we've got a big a big weekend and a big you know two weeks ahead for the Chicago Cubs anything else you want to toss out there before we bring this one home today just keep winning guys that's all that needs to happen the Cubs need to go on a run uh, they don't really have as you mentioned Randall that margin for error they can't None. allow one loss, excuse me, one loss to turn to two losses. <laughs> they got to, they got to go out and they got to win. You could debate how many losses they have room for now. Uh, yeah, you just got to keep winning. Like Dory said, just keep winning, win. And I can't guarantee everything will take care of itself, but it will sure be a whole lot easier. That'll do it for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. For Jeremy, I am Randall. We will be back with you again soon. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next time.